Good morning, beloved. Welcome today to Bible study time. Gee, it's a rainy morning up here in Virginia, but it's springtime, and the birds are singing, and the flowers are just popping out of the ground. The daffodils are all around, showing their loveliness to the world, and the blossoms, the cherry blossoms are on the trees, and we know that summer is around the corner. Some rather yet, but we're on our way. And I just want to welcome you to this time and encourage you to, well, just relax and maybe draw up some coffee and sit down for a little while and put your feet up and listen to me jabber for a few minutes. We're going to be continuing our study of the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is a fascinating thing and it's it's wonderful it's so it's just like a big fat thanksgiving turkey with legs on it wings on it and all cooked up pretty it's beautiful what we're going to do is we're going to just tear right into it like we just like it's thanksgiving at lunchtime we're going to run off with a different piece in different directions sometimes we wind up with the same piece but we're, we're going to tear it to pieces we're going to rip at it i'm going to rip at it we're just going to tear this turkey all apart. And you're going to get to see the spectacle of that. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to learn from it. You're going to learn that teachers are different. And the text is different. And the perspective is different. Depending on who's got the light going on it. So that's what we're going to do. And I, I hope you will enjoy yourself thoroughly. Because I know I'm going to do. And you might as well do. So here we go with the book of Hebrews. Now, I'm going to give you a little background this morning from my perspective. And then after I do a little background, we're going to just see if we can look at the first chapter or portions of it and then get started with the with the study of the book during the weeks ahead, perhaps. Well, first of all, the fascinating thing about Hebrews, it just fascinates me, is we don't really know for sure who wrote it. We have, uh, 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 the, the thought has, has certainly occurred that it was St. Paul. We, we don't have any identification of him in that text, but we know that St. Paul and his thoughts are behind this. Whoever wrote Hebrews was a very skillful writer with the Greek language, used big words, written in a, a wonderful way. Not too much like St. Paul, but the thought of the words are there. So, in the long run, as one of the great old church historians seem to say, it don't really matter who wrote it. What matters is that God wrote it. And I think that's important to remember. I didn't write it. You didn't write it. God wrote it. God wrote this. And this anonymity is, is special. I, I enjoy the anonymity of it. I, I don't necessarily want to know who wrote it. If somebody discovered tomorrow who wrote it, it wouldn't impress me one bit because God wrote it. And that's that's the author of all great sacred sacred scripture, I think. But, and it's wonderful because you can read it a different way every time you read it. And that's because the author of it is the Lord God in heaven. Beautiful. Well, we look at this thing. If we, we can, though, having said all that, 
we can look at this text and, and, and know something about whoever it was that was the power of the writer behind it. And that is that they were a kind of an exhorter. They were, uh, this material was meant to be preached, taught, uh, explained. This is an exhortation to Christian living. A discussion is made here of how Christ is superior to everything and all that we need for salvation. So with that, with that said today, uh, we're going to just push along here and I'm going to read chapter one of this uh, great letter, great, great treatise. Some people don't call it a letter. Some people call it a, a treatise, uh, like a declaration or something. But we're going to go all here. Chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, I'm going to stop there, period. Because the next verses are quotations from the Psalms, mostly. There's another chapter or two, verse in there too, of, of this, this list of proof texts. But they all come from the Old Testament words of the psalmist. So here this exhorter, is saying, now, I'm going to tell you that Christ is superior to the angels. He just said that. Now he's going to prove it to you. How's he going to prove it? He's going to prove it by these Old Testament Psalm scriptures that the writer finds to be important to hammer home this fact that Christ is superior to the angels. Now, that sort of comes as a natural thing to me. I say, I don't see anything too, too extravagant about that. To say something like that, I would say to myself, well, what else is new? Of course, Christ is superior to the angels. He's the son of God. But that's because I have a, a, a modern day concept of what an angel is. I've been, it's been given to me, filtered down to me by, Bible teachers through the ages as to what an angel, how confusing angels are. For one thing, St. Thomas said, don't get too worried about them. They, how many of them dance on the head of a pin? Because angels are a great mystery. But here, they don't seem to be a mystery to nobody. It seems as if they're sort of like everywhere. I mean, why would he say that? Did he, why would he have to prove it with all these scriptures? That Jesus is better than the angels. Well, let me give you my take on it. I think it's because angels 
or messengers. And this writer doesn't want us to be confused about the fact that Jesus and his words and his teachings are above any messages you might get from any angelic being. And that's special. And that's significant to them because they thought angels were going around telling people things. And they did. I mean, and they still do. But the truth is, Jesus' word is higher than any other word you're going to hear from any other spiritual source. Because Christ Jesus is supreme. The supremacy of the Son of God is what this author is going to hammer all through this day. Through this book of Hebrews. Look, the verses that I just read are the prologue to the entire study of Hebrews. That is, the writer had this up front at the beginning. He had it there on purpose. He's got, in other words, he comes right out of the gate going 90 miles an hour. 90 miles an hour. If you ever read the book, uh, Seabiscuit, by a lady named Laura Hildebrand. You, you love, she's a great author, wonderful narrative writer, wrote the book Unbroken, but, but she wrote the story of Seabiscuit's life. Seabiscuit was in a match race, a horse race. Seabiscuit was a horse, a race horse in the 1930s. She tells his story, how he raced against the great war admiral on the East Coast, and you know the story. They made a motion picture out of it. But Seabiscuit had to learn how to come out fast because it was a walk-up start. These two horses were in a match race, and they walked up to the starting gate, and he had to get off for quick. So they taught him how to get out of there on the ringing of a bell. As soon as that bell rang, ring, he was right out there running. And so Seabiscuit won that race based largely upon the fact that he broke first. He ran first. Now, this writer is going to make doggone good and well that you get out of that starting gate in the right way. Because when the bell rings, boom, you got to know that Jesus is Lord. You got to know that Jesus is supreme. You got to know he's number one. Because if you miss that, you might as well throw the rest of it all away. Because that's what he's going to come back to time and time again. The supremacy of Jesus. Well, he's going to take this to be the prophet's. He's going to go say Jesus is supreme to the prophets. In chapter 3, he's going to talk about how Jesus is higher than Moses. And he's going to say Jesus is higher than the high priest. Jesus is high. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is what this story, this work calls us to recognize. Makes us into Jesus people. All lock, stock, and barrel and sold out to Jesus. Now, that's not to say I'm not going to go into each one of these Proof text this morning. Each one of them are good. Each one of them, you can preach an entire sermon on either one of them, and I invite you to do that. But if you look at chapter 1, verse 5, from there on down to verse 13, he is calling for the fact that this supports the argument that Jesus is supreme. Now, look, let me tell you something about what what he proves here. He proves that God 
is the prophetic voice of the Bible. God is the prophetic voice. Isaiah's good. Ezekiel's good. Jeremiah's good. Samuel's good. All those prophets are good. Even most. But the thing is, the Lord is supreme. He wants you to understand that he's God's son. Look down there at verse 8. But the son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever the son. Scepter of your kingdom. He's, Jesus is God's appointed heir. He gets it all. He gets everything. He's, everything is his. When, when somebody dies, if you are the heir, and you are the appointed heir, and the only heir, what do you get? All of it. Everything. Everything. And Jesus gets it all from God. God is a creative agent. I read that to you. Because he participated in the creation of the world. Imagine that. When we were created out of nothing, and night and day, and earth and sea, and fish and birds, and reptiles, and all those things were created, and man was created, and women was created. Jesus was in participating in that with God. Jesus is God's personified glory. That's significant. If you want to know what God is like, what do you do? You look at Jesus. That tells you what God is like. Ends all the confusion. Stops all the controversy. What does God look like to you? Well, to me, it looks like Jesus. To look in the face of God is to look in the face of Jesus. Jesus is a perfect revelation of God. In union with God. And that word is hypostatic union. It's so close you can't tell them apart. It's a reflection, this text says. Like looking in a mirror. One way looking in the mirror, another way. There he is. Jesus. The cosmic sustainer that writes in here. He sustains the world and everything in it. He holds it together. He's not just the creator, but he's the sustainer. Jesus is God's wonderful and unique sacrifice for the world. Now, the Hebrews start ears start perking up then. See, if you're Jewish and you say that Jesus is the unique sacrifice, what do you do with all those pigeons? And what do you do with all those lambs? And all that whole big temple mess there. And what are you going to do with that if, if this is true? That Jesus is God's wonderfully unique sacrifice and will put all the enemies under his feet for a footstool. Now, boy, yeah, you're listening up then, starting to listen. And that's the intention of this, of this beginning, is to, you know, get, get you thinking. Now, if Jesus is, is everything to everybody, where do we go from here? What else is there? Are not angels, spirits, the writer says in chapter 1, verse 14, are not all angels, spirits in the divine service sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? That's you and me. We are to inherit salvation. And this chief angel, this Jesus, this spiritual, uh, this Jesus in divine service is sent to serve for the sake of those of us who are to inherit the salvation of the Lord. Well, there you are, you see. There you are. You have a situation here where the Son of God 
has come down to earth. And this crowd here listening to this teacher has accepted that. And now they're getting ready to move on into how they're going to live their lives in respect to that. Now, there are many great, great prophets, but Jesus is the supreme prophet, the majestic Christ, the great King of Kings. He is to be for us the guide through life because of that. He's the top dollar. He's the head head honcho. He's the dog. He's the one you go to to get the answers for life. Well, it's, it's, it's Eusebius was a, of that persuasion. Eusebius was a great church historian. Great church historian. He's not the book, Eusebius. The history of the church. I direct your attention to that. Because Eusebius in the second century said what I said earlier, it don't really matter who wrote it. <laughs> that long ago, they were always discussing the authorship of what we're reading. That's not important because you can feel, you can feel the Apostle Paul back there behind that, encouraging that. This representation of the Father, this exhortation of angels as spiritual beings that are just unlike the divine son who is not just a mere spiritual being but a real force a real reality not just a spirit another interesting thing in this opening here is a feeling that we're starting to get we'll get it much more much more as we go on but it's a feeling that if we can just persevere and we push on through whatever comes our way. You know, you, get, you start to get this feeling <clears throat> sometimes when you sit under a great preacher and they're making their point, you know, and you, you're listening to it and you're hearing it and you hear it, say to yourself, well, if I just can push on through this, I can make it because God is, is definitely on my side. This is another aspect of Hebrews, the encouragement to hang on, because apparently it was a time of Christian persecution, and people felt like they were they were just pilgrims in a strange land. You know, I, I, sometimes life is like that. You get so many hard knocks, you get pushed down, you lose your job, you lose your friends. Nothing seems to work out for you, and you, you, your mind is, wanders, and you think about how beat down you are, and the Lord begins to speak to you and tell you, push on through, hang on there, persevere. I'm with you, and I'm not going to leave you, and it's not my intention to leave you behind. You ever felt that way? That way? Well, apparently these people were under such a kind of a persecuted arrangement of disorder. They just may have been just down in the mouth about everything. Here comes this wonderful exhorter. You know, in the old revival days, when we had preaching up here in Virginia, in some places around, the, the, the evangelists would preach, of course, and 
but he wasn't first. First was a person called an exhorter. The exhorter's job was to work the crowd up, and it's still carried on in up here. I mean, it's still around some to some degree. Uh, no great preacher just stands on his word alone. He gets somebody to sing. He might get somebody to share a word. He might have, but something will be ahead of them. And here, with the exhorter was the name of that thing which preceded the preaching. The exhorter would get up and say something to be an, kind of a cheerleader, you know. I mean, he might, they might say, we have a great preacher here today. We, we, we're gonna, he's gonna bless us and we're ready for him. Come on, yeah. let me hear it for him, you know. And everybody clapping him. He would be getting one exhorter to get him ready. That's what this writer is to these people. He's an exhorter. Every time I go to Hebrews, I come away feeling better. It's, it's like going to a upscale bar. <laughs> I don't mean that. Take it back. I take it back. It's like, it's like going somewhere where somebody's going to know your name. You know, cheers on TV where everybody knows my name. Somehow you got to go somewhere where everybody knows who you are. Everybody knows your name. This is the place right here. Are you down today? Are you beat up? This is the, this is the book for you, my brothers. This is the book for you. And push on away from here, here and shove off because we're going to get in some deep water of, of how it is that God loves you and takes care of you and just wants to bless you. And, but, but some people have taken this perseverance thing and run away with this. This don't save you now. Don't, don't, don't get into your mind that you saved yourself because that's one of the great mistakes of, of theologists. Is either, either God saves you or you save yourself. Well, not, not, God does the saving around here. And even though you persevere and go forward, uh, you can send away your baptism, said John Wesley. I mean, don't think you're so good that you don't need no help. Because that, that you need it. That's the person that needs Jesus worse than anything in the world is the one that thinks you don't need it. And this text is about that. It's about helping you in spite of yourself. In spite of yourself. And this wonderful first chapter is just an opening salvo. Just, just an opening salvo. And the prologue is beautiful. Read that first four verses there time and time again. You'll find it very similar in First Colossians 15 to 23. It says something similar. Same thing. If you like prologues, one of the prettiest ones is in John the Gospel. John's Gospel. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning. Boy, he's awesome. Awesome. Going through that. So, that's what I'm going to do as I study this word is just take it apart in pieces, in chunks, and see what they have to say to me. And perhaps you'll be blessed by that. And we, we just took three little chunks here this morning of this thing. First was a prologue. Took that jump, looked at that. And then we carved out verses 5 through 13, which was the supporting Old Testament arguments for that very prologue. And then now this last, the last verse here, uh, uh, verse 14 of chapter 1, are not all angels, spirits, in the divine service, sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit 
salvation. You remember I told you angels always have a message? They do. That's because they're a messenger. If one comes to you, see what they got to say. That's the important thing. When angel Gabriel came to John, uh, you know, John's daddy, Zachariah, and he was in the temple. Old Zachariah was serving him. An angel came to him, came walking up to him. And he, he, he said, you're going to have a son. And, and Zachariah said, I can't have any son. I'm an old man. And my wife is old as I am. Ain't going to be no son. And, and the angel said, he said, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> Who do you think you talk to? <laughs> I can do anything I want to do. I'm Gabriel. And when he said that, he said, you won't say another word until the child is born, and then you will name him John. Okay? <laughs> Boom. He closed it down. The button popped out on that turkey. He didn't speak for until that child was born. So if an angel comes to you, it's to arrest your attention. I want you to be arrested for something. Put you on, 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 on alert. Uh, and an angel will help you. And angels are, are things that have a, a different kind of reality to different kinds of people. Different kind of reality to different kinds of people. And the different perspectives on angels is a wonderful thing. But that's not our study today. Oh, but if you are interested in that, Billy Graham wrote a wonderful book on that whole entire subject called Angels. And Angels, wonderful book. But that's not what we're about today. We're about the supremacy of Jesus. Oh, and if you're a pilgrim, pilgrims going through life, here's a good book for you too. This is called The Pilgrim's Progress. Written by an old preacher way back in the 1600s by the name of John Bunyan. They put him in jail and this came out. <laughs> the Pilgrim's Progress. The Pilgrim's Progress. It's so simple but so wonderful. How we were all on this trip, like a mission trip in life. All of life is a mission trip. And would you go, would you, would you go and go and go and go? You stumble and fall. You get up and go. You learn something here and you learn something there. You, you preach here and you do something over yonder. And the next thing you know, you've grown in your life. That's what the Pilgrim's Progress is. Beloved, that's what this text is. That's what it's about. Now, I'm done with you for today, but boy, I'm looking forward to the next time I get a hold of you and get a hold of this text because it is some sweet, sweet stuff in here. This turkey is good and it is going to be better. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for this day, for this sweet, refreshing word. Be with us as we go through today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Eu quero ser um testemunho, revolve o eu.